Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hop Day edition of the Yard. A little bit later than I, I planned to be. Got busy this morning uh, calling the high school coaches of some of our uh, more recent signees. You know, trying to help you guys get better acquainted with them. Also, myself, right? I mean, it's like to get some insight, you know. And, and here's the deal, too. It's always a good news article, right? You know, I always ask those guys where they think they do well, what can they do better. Uh, but by and large, it's very positive type stuff. And, uh, you know, these are the players that you're going to be cheering for for the next year or two or whatever. You know, we used to say four years, but uh, you, you get those assurances anymore. You don't have them. No guarantees anymore with the transfer portal. But, um, yeah, enjoy that. So three pieces of content this morning. I uh, spoke to um, the head coaches of Cyrus Reyes, who was one of the later commitments and signees. And, of course, Kyle McClendon uh, down here in Gulfport. That's a free piece of content. And then Ricky Johnson. Spoke to Ricky Johnson yesterday. Spoke to his coach today. That, that was a really good get for Mississippi State. Really, really good get. Second most receiving yards in school history. Over 1,200 yards, 16 touchdowns this year. And, uh, you know, Jeremy, his coach there, told me, he probably could have replicated that the season before, but he had some nagging injuries that kind of slowed him down a little bit. They were careful with him. But um, big, big, big recruiting cycle for one Chad Bumpus, right? I mean, it's just every day, the more we learn, the better we feel, number one, about hiring Chad and then retaining Chad. And Chad is certainly earning his money here at Mississippi State on the recruiting side. And, uh, you know, he'll have some of his own guys now. That's an important aspect of this, too. When you inherit players, sometimes you know, you're, you're trying to correct old habits and things like that. But um, huge wide receiver group, both literally and figuratively for Chad Bumpus. Uh, so we feel good about the direction of that personnel group. But, um, yeah, pretty, pretty special stuff. But um, just kind of getting back up to speed, and so we'll get this out of here, too. And I hope you guys are, are preparing to stay warm. You know, we've been hearing about this for two weeks. Like, it's so funny. There's so much that happens, like, with the weather. You know, people are like, hey, this is going to happen, and then it never does. And now all of a sudden, you look at um, kind of what we're looking at for next week. You know, this Arctic vortex or whatever they're calling it. That's crazy as all this stuff sounds. It's already, like, more wintery than we're used to. Like yesterday, that wind, that cold Arctic wind was not good. It's a beautiful day today. Not nearly as cold either. But guys, next week... You need to go ahead and start buying your uh, your bread and milk for your milk sandwiches that always apply whenever the people think that things are going to be closed. And we do close everything in Mississippi. It seems that anytime there is a problem, we shut down the whole state. But Tuesday in the greater Starkville area, the high is suspected to be 26, the low 9 degrees. 9 degrees. So not even going to get above freezing that day. The good thing is we're not expected to have any precipitation in this area. Hopefully your area is free of that as well because our infrastructure is not built for that. It's always a tough deal. But, uh, yeah, we're going to have uh, some highs in the 60s Thursday and Friday, and then we've got some rain coming in to usher in the rest of this cold weather. And then you're going to earn it. I hope you've got a winter coat. Maybe you can Amazon one between now and then. Because uh, we're going to expect you to get up and go to work, cold or not. Uh, also, too, let me give my PSA here, too. Uh, you know, I'm a dog guy. I am. I love my dogs, man. You, you've heard them on the show before. It wasn't planned, but it's part of it. But uh, 
I do my best to edit that stuff out these days, but be thinking about your pets now. I mean, a lot of us have outside dogs. I got three inside dogs and two outside dogs, and so everybody will make the transition in the house. It'll be a little bit inconvenient, but um, you know, just be prepared for that. Whether you need to get them a heating pad, you know, and I don't mean like the one you put on your back, but you can order one online through Amazon. Get a heating pad. They have something to warm themselves. Maybe you've got a heated doghouse. But be thinking about that now. Don't wait to the last minute uh, to make that adjustment. You can go on Amazon right here today or on Friday and have it here before the Arctic weather gets here. It's just important. I mean, it really is. I know you guys love your pets, and sometimes we get so caught up in our own creature comforts, we kind of forget about them. Uh, so please make preparations for those animals. Either bring them inside or prepare a place for them so they can warm themselves. So there we go. Speaking of dogs, how about Bulldog Burger Company? Longtime sponsors of this show. I love them. They love dogs too. Matter of fact, you can even bring your dog with you when you eat out on the uh, the patio area there. How about that? That's pretty super cool, right? But maybe that's not what you want to do. Maybe you just want to go in there and have a great restaurant quality hamburger. And that's what you expect when you go to Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. Trust the science. I've seen the before and after pictures. I've seen enough to know that our hypothesis has been proven correct. Get that chocolate shake to go. Perhaps uh, some bread pudding too. Yeah, you need that palate cleanser when you get home anyway. Uh, But maybe you don't feel like a burger today. Maybe you say, Steve, I'd like to eat a little bit lighter. We'll get the BLT salad. That's my recommendation. Probably the best salad I've ever eaten. I absolutely love it. I do. I like it grilled. You may prefer it fried. I'm not judging. Have it your way. I get it with ranch. I'm from South Mississippi. It's kind of a requirement. But the bottom line is this. When you go put your feet under their table, you're going to leave satisfied. You're going to have great service, great food, great price, great atmosphere. And you're going to leave there feeling better about yourself than when you went in. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, since we were together, we have picked up another transfer portal commitment. Jacoby Jackson out of Texas Tech. Now, let me give you a little background here on Jacoby. Because he did something that is kind of out of the norm for these transfer portal guys. We see it when they come here. We see it when they go elsewhere. What we're seeing more times than not is that if transfer portal guys leave campus without committing, chances are you're not going to get them. I could write the story on that, right? I mean, you go back and look like Kevin Coleman, right? Kevin Coleman was expected to visit Mississippi State and then Texas A&M. Now, during the traditional recruiting calendar, we say, hey, we'd like to get that final visit. Well, when it's coming to these transfer portal guys, you may not get that visit if you're the final visit. That's something to consider. We're still learning, right, with all this transfer portal stuff. We're five years into it, but you know, this year especially, we have seen a huge influx, not just of guys going into the portal, but media coverage and things of that nature. And uh, some guys out there that schools have learned, hey, we've, we've got to be very much attentive to what's happening in the portal. So you're seeing more offers. You're seeing more interviews. A lot of these players are willing to do more media-type stuff to kind of get their name out there. It's a very competitive market. Jacoby Jackson visited Mississippi State last week. Then he left Mississippi State, didn't commit, went to Texas A&M, 
they had a handful of guys commit while he was there. And as some of our astute observers over at jeanspage.com pointed out, man, this may not be the best weekend for him to be in College Station with all this excitement about their recruiting class. We survived that. And then he goes to Baylor. And this is a guy from Texas, from Arlington, Texas. And so we worried a little bit about that because what we're seeing too, and, and you can run the numbers yourself, you're seeing a lot of these guys that go in the portal electing to go closer to home or to the home state itself. And, of course, Texas, you, know, you can be in the state of Texas and still be almost 1,000 miles away from the people that you love. But we worried a little bit about geography. I traded some messages with Jacoby over you know, the last few days and finally got him on the phone yesterday. And one of the things that he told me I thought was very remarkable, and the article is free. You can go read it for yourself. You don't have to be a member of Gene's Page to read this. As he said, when he left Mississippi State, he just couldn't get the Bulldogs off his mind. And he said, that meant, meant something to me. Even though I was visiting other schools, I was still thinking about what happened at Mississippi State. That tells me that Cody Kennedy and Jeff Levy are doing a great job making an impression. Because it lingered. You know, we had some other guys like Jalen Lucas, you know, comes in from Indiana. Uh, Coach Tucker. Uh, one of the guys that knew, knew well, he comes in, visits us, then visits Florida State. And, of course, he's got connections to Florida State. Didn't commit the state, got to Florida State, didn't take another visit, just shut things down. But Jacoby kind of went against the grain here. He gets through all of these visits and then makes his decision. And what's interesting is he told me in the beginning of this, yes, I'm going to take all my visits and then I'll announce my decision. Now, here's the thing with that. At some point, they all say that, or pretty close to it. I'm going to take my visits and then decide. But once they get on campus, a lot of these guys are kind of getting hot box. It's like, hey, you know, listen, we've got you know, another guy coming in here tomorrow. I got coming in Wednesday, and they want your spots. If you want it, you got to let us know now. But Jacoby Jackson did not make an emotional decision. He did not get rushed into, hey, this is it. You got to let us know before you leave. So kind of an abnormal transfer portal prospect in that respect. Now, he's uh, redshirted in 2021, played in a dozen games in 2022, played in all 13 games last year for Texas Tech. He can play guard. I'm told he could play right tackle if we need him to, but he is projected to play guard here. And so I'll tell you, one of the things that I have been impressed with Jeff Levy's recruiting uh, efforts so far is uh, the people that I have spoken to on the phone, which is uh, everybody, uh, with one exception, that have uh, signed with Mississippi State or expected to enroll from Mississippi State, these guys know how to communicate. They're also very grateful. You don't get any of this negative push-off vibe, like these guys are just too cool for school. And sometimes you get some of that element. You know, there was a time when these guys went in the portal. They didn't want to talk. Uh, we've been able to talk to all the portal uh, commitments and uh, I think a lot of it is just they're so excited about Mississippi State. I think Jeff Levy and those guys are doing a great job selling Mississippi State. And these guys are kind of on board thinking, hey, this is part of a way that I can build a little momentum here. You know, I can help the staff. I can help the team. I can help the program by helping sell the program. So I think it's important that you guys hear why they picked Mississippi State. I know there are some people in our industry, even with my own network, that will say, Hey, after the kids commit, nobody really cares what they have to say. I, I disagree. I, I think each of you want to know why they picked Mississippi State. I think it's important to know why they picked Mississippi State. 
so Jacoby, the newest, the 15th transfer portal prospect to to, to con, commit to Mississippi State, if I can get that out. And uh, many of you recall, in the beginning of this, people are like, oh, Steve, are we going to have a football program? Well, we have currently 16 transfer outs. One of those is a walk-on and 15 transfer ins. So it is a mocks-nicks deal. It balances itself out. State's not done. We're ex- I was told earlier this week probably three or four visitors. Now I'm told maybe closer to 10 this weekend. So we're working through that. And, uh, you know, last week I had to kind of throw a list up before I could confirm with all of the players. And sometimes that happens. But, uh, you know, I had my grandmother's funeral last Thursday. So we just pushed it out there so you guys would have some semblance of awareness. And, of course, some of those guys, their schedules changed, visit schedules changed. They decided not to take a trip to Mississippi State. And so then people are like, well, hey, why are these guys not visiting? Sometimes it's a bit of a wish list, right? Guys make a commitment, hey, I'm going to visit this weekend, and then what they feel like is another a better opportunity may come along, and they visit there. And that's one of the reasons I'm so hesitant to put that stuff out there is because until you confirm it with the player, things can change, right? I mean, things can change. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. 
Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Uh, but yeah, 15 transfer ends. And um, I want to take a little time here and talk about Cody Kennedy. We, we've talked extensively about the great job that Chad Bumpus has done. And uh, I don't think anybody on this staff has had a better year than Chad Bumpus. But probably just behind him is Cody Kennedy. Now, go back to when we got ready to hire Cody Kennedy. And I first, I guess Brandon Marcello was the first to bring his name to our website. And a lot of people were like, hey, this doesn't make any sense to me. And Arkansas fans don't like him. And let me tell you this, this is nothing against Arkansas fans. I I never, ever, 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 ever need an indictment or an endorsement from the exit fan base, whether that be us or Southern Miss or, you know, Waxahachie Tech, it doesn't make any difference to me because familiarity breeds contempt. Think about your own players and your own coaches. Some of the people you get sick of are the ones that have been here the longest. And so it's important to kind of understand that's not an objective viewpoint, whether it's coming from us or Arkansas or whatever. But Cody Kennedy has showed up in, in Starkville, Mississippi, and put his cowboy boots on and got to kick it. Uh, we have seen a really, really, really good offensive line class. And, of course, you put some things out there on social media, and people are like, well, you know, I believe it when I see it. You know, it's a tough way to go through life, man, without some semblance of belief. I mean, it really is. But, uh, you know, I, I think about our portal misses in recent years on the offensive line. You know, we hadn't had a bunch of those guys. We hadn't had a bunch of them. Stephen Lasoya came in and uh, gave us two good years. Now, he's gone. But outside of that, we hadn't had a lot of portal offensive linemen. When you look at what we're losing this year, you know, to the exhaustion of eligibility, graduation, the portal, whatever, we had to go get some dudes. And some people on Twitter are like, well, you know, Steve, if this guy going to make an all-SEC team, well, he may not make all-SEC and still be a great offensive lineman. There's only a couple of those guys that get picked at each position. Uh, so I don't need him to be all-SEC. I just need him to win football games. And so let's kind of run through this. We've talked before about the trio of high school guys. Spent a lot of time talking about those guys, as you guys are well aware. Jimothy Lewis, uh, you know, of course, played in the uh, All-American game here recently. Had some struggles. I mean, I won't be surprised if he doesn't dip a point in the final rankings, which will set people on fire. But we all saw the same game. I mean, he, he, did, he struggled at times in that game. And so I, I'm still thinking he's going to be a big-time player for us. Maybe he's a guard. Maybe he's a tackle. I don't know. But I'm glad that we have him. But he's an All-American. And then, of course, you got uh, T.J. Lockhart, state champion, first-team All-State, tremendous guy, also going to be a guard, probably needs to drop about 30 pounds, learn to play at a new playing weight. But we're excited about him. And, of course, Luke Work, also an All-American. So – you know, we'll see. But we talk about, you know, these postseason, you know, accolades and things like that. It's like people say, well, you know, Steve, this guy wasn't this and this guy wasn't that. Well, that's three guys right there, two of three that are All-Americans. I don't pick those lists. And you don't either. But somebody somewhere decided, hey, these guys are good enough to come play in our All-Star game and ultimately became All-Americans. Now, those three guys are not going to make us better this season. They got to learn. They got to get in a college weight room. 
Uh, I've often said that you know college offensive linemen are kind of a three-year project. You need the first year to kind of get them up to SEC size and strength, and then you teach them to play at a new playing weight. They learn to handle the speed of the game. You know, in year two, maybe as a redshirt freshman, and then when they become redshirt sophomores, then they're really ready to begin to compete and contribute. And even that year, maybe you're not a starter. But it's important to understand offensive linemen just simply develop at a different rate than everybody else. They do. Because most of them get by in high school just being bigger and stronger than everybody, so the technique isn't always there. They've been exposed to it. They just haven't had to use it. It hadn't been a necessity. But when you get into the Southeastern Conference, I don't care if you're playing a walk-on scout team guy in the SEC in practice. Some of those guys have got three and four years under their belt. They'll eat you up. So you've got to learn to play with technique, and it takes a little while. That's why it's so important that we have some success in the portal. So we mentioned Jacoby Jackson, a guy with two years of playing experience on the Power 5 level, uh, played in 25 ball games. That sounds good to me. And he also played at Texas Tech. It's kind of a pass-first scheme, and uh, a guy that really excelled as a pass blocker. Uh, PFF didn't have him rated exceptionally high as a run blocker. He didn't have to run a lot there. Uh, getting a little deeper into this, too, you know, Marlon Martinez, a part-time starter at LSU, who was highly recruited out of high school, uh, did not necessitate a four-star ranking, which is rare for LSU. It seems like everybody that goes to LSU or Alabama or these blue bloods, they just go ahead and throw four stars on them and call it a day. But he was an 88.95 composite guy. So he was a, a high-level three-star. He goes to LSU, maybe doesn't realize his full potential, but he did get some playing experience in the SEC. Is he a starter for us? I don't know. That's what spring practice will determine. Uh, But the fact, again, another guy from a Power 5 program with Power 5 on-the-field experience. McKaylin Pounders. Guy was the top-rated offensive lineman in the state of Mississippi when he came out, and even then he wasn't rated high enough. I think McKaylin Pounders is a dude. McKaylin Pounders would have been the starting left tackle in 2022 at Memphis, but he got injured. In 2023, he was. Is he a tackle? Is he a guard? Don't know. I just know that he wants to be here. I know that he should have been here all along. I know that he was uh, the victim of, of a PR shell game from some folks up the road. But this is a good get. And you look around some of the other networks, a lot of people feel even better about him than we do. I'm excited to have him. Then there's Ethan Miner. Pro Football Focus rated him the second best center in the country. Not the biggest guy by any stretch of the imagination, but a guy that's connected to John Cooper, a guy that knows this scheme, a guy that knows the, the language, the terminology. And so you start working through this and you begin to think, okay, we found some good building blocks for the future, but we've also found some guys that can be a stopgap while these young guys develop. And as you guys know, you can't fall in love with any of these young guys because no guarantee they're going to be here in two and three years. And it's a shame that's where we are, but that's the reality of our situation. Uh, But when I go out and I begin to think about, okay, you can't just go all in for the portal, especially in our situation. Because we're trying to, and as Jeff Levy says, this is not a rebuild situation. But it is a building situation for us, right? Because We've got to go out and get some guys that fit what we want from a skill set standpoint. We've got to teach them our system. And then they're going to have to kind of go out there and eat up reps while the young guys 
kind of get up to speed. And so while Levy may not call it a rebuild, in many respects it is. Now, I think what he's trying to say is, yeah, it's, it's not a rebuild from a win-loss standpoint. He's not going into it expecting, hey, we're going to go 4-8, and 5-7. and seven. That's exactly what I want him to believe. And I think that's the, uh, that's the message he's got to send to his team. Hey, it's not a rebuild. We expect to win. I expect to win, too. But I'm going to have a little more measured approach to that. But when I begin to think about what we've done on the offensive line, I think I begin to feel a little more confident about things. I think, again, I think our offensive recruiting is probably light years ahead of our defensive recruiting right now. I think part of that's because of the fact that Levy has brought in so many people around him that know his system offensively. They've worked in this offense. And so I think it's an easier sell. On defense, we don't have the same identity. You know, if Levy wants to go out there and tell a wide receiver or quarterback, hey, here's what we're going to do, just go watch this Oklahoma tape. You know, defensively, you don't have that luxury because you haven't established an identity yet. I'm not making excuses for anybody. I'm just trying to make sure that everybody kind of understands one of the reasons why it's been a little uh, easier to attract offensive prospects is because of the fact that we've got a proven system that we're installing, and they want to come be a part of that. Uh, that's an exciting part of it for me. You know, we need to have a, you know, a good close to this class and, and uh, find some, some dudes on defense, but um, – the way it all is playing out right now is uh, it looks like we're going to have to win some shootouts. There are going to be some games, obviously, the defense gets better. But uh, you know, going into next year, I think people are probably going to be a lot more optimistic about the offense than they are the defense. And also the, the flip side of it, too, is you've got a bunch of defensive guys that never work together, right? I mean, so once they get in a room together and begin to develop a reputation and a nice rapport with each other and find some identity, I think it's going to be a little bit easier to go out there and say, hey, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to utilize you. It's one thing to just, you know, sell it as a promise. But uh, when you get through spring and you get into the season, you can kind of show, okay, here is what it looks like in our school colors. That's an important aspect of every bit of this. But uh, uh, Cody Kennedy, I think, doing a great job. And, uh, you know, we'll see what he does when he gets these guys on campus. You know, because there's a lot of guys out there that can recruit. And there's a lot of guys out there that can coach. And sometimes it's difficult to find a guy that can do both. Now, Cody Kennedy, of course, was a Broles semifinalist a couple years ago. Uh, so clearly, you know, he had, uh, you know, some juice at that point. You, know, you, you look at what's happened this past year in Arkansas, and people are like, oh, the offensive line was terrible. Well, you know, the thing that I asked myself about Cody Kennedy is how much of that was him and how much of that was Sam Pittman? And how much of it was just simply talent? You know, at some point, even the best coaches have some difficulties. But um, – all we can judge him on is what he's done so far in Maroon and White, and he's done a great job recruiting these players, not just for now, but for the future. And I think that's an important aspect of this because you go all in in a portal and you don't think about tomorrow. You think about, hey, it's all about this year. You could definitely put yourself in a situation where you get out of balance on the roster and there's a big gap between the guys that are leaving and the guys that are having to develop. And then I think you become almost too reliant on the portal where you have to replicate that every single year. you got to go right behind it every single year. So you've got to sign some guys out there from the high school ranks that can kind of develop because continuity is important, especially on the offensive line. Guys have to learn to play together as a unit. So you want to have an opportunity to watch them grow and develop and become a cohesive unit. Uh, So, uh, again, good returns so far for Cody Kennedy. I think this is a group right now, when you look at it on paper, 
probably answers a lot of needs for us. But again, it's on paper. You know, we got to get on the field and see what we can do. How do these guys mesh with the returning guys? And, you know, it's pretty much wide open. You know, we do have uh, some big bodies returning. Uh, Speaking of returning, a lot of discussion about Percy Lewis. The latest information that I have is that he's not returning to Mississippi State. There was some discussion earlier this week that maybe he would withdraw from the portal. You know, we're not going to give up complete hope here. However, uh, I know that there was some concerns about him playing guard, and that hadn't even been determined yet. I mean, there's people out there. Everybody's got something to say, right? But then there was all this discussion. He's going to go to Ole Miss, and some of our fans freak out and say, why does this continue to happen? You know, once they go in the portal, man, all bets are off, right? But now there's some discussion that it, maybe it's Auburn, maybe some other people. At this point, and things can always change, I don't expect him to return to Mississippi State. And uh, we start classes next Tuesday. So, you know, we'll have an answer pretty soon. But I don't expect them back now. But there's been a lot of ebb and flow with this, so I don't totally rule it out. I'm just not expecting it today. Uh, That's kind of how we move forward with this. And uh, a lot of uh, the guys that are in the portal now, the transferred out of Mississippi State, have already made their decisions and are now getting ready to enroll and uh, make the relocation to their new schools. As uh, Jacoby Jackson yesterday uh, took a break from packing up, his parents live in Texarkana. And so he was there kind of uh, rallying around the family there and uh, going to spend a couple days with his folks and then uh, head over to Starkville. So that's a big part of this thing, too, is kind of, you know, what's next? You know, uh, there's a lot to it. Sometimes we uh, forget that these are human beings. These are people that um, yeah, they have needs and responsibilities, too just like the rest of us. I mean, it's like we see them on TV and we think, hey, they don't live life the way we do. They absolutely do. All right, time for today's top 10 list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair Chandler, a mortgage professional. Guys, here's the deal. A lot of people out there vying for your business. This decision is just simply too important. You need to deal with somebody that knows the ins and outs of the mortgage industry. That's Blair Chandler, 601-500-2344. That goes directly to him. You don't have to go through a receptionist or a call center directly to Blair. 22 years of experience in this industry, back-to-back-to-back years, top 1% close ratio in the country. There's a reason the website is called Close with Blair. It's not Shop with Blair or Let's Go See with Blair. It's Close with Blair. Blair's a bulldog. Probably worth mentioning to him, but you are too. But uh, the same quality of service available to everybody. But uh, we do like to keep it in the family whenever we can. You never know where your money may end up and whose NIL fund. If you just go take a chance out there, you know what you're going to get with Blair Chandler. Hit him up today. Visit him on the website, closewithblair.com. You'll be glad you did. All right. We had a lot of success with our... uh, Rock songs turning 30 this year. We're not going to do rock today, but uh, one of our longtime listeners hit me up and said, hey, how about the songs turning 40? Guys, here's the deal. 84, one of the best years ever in American music. It's true. And so today we're going to do pop hits turning 40. And so many of these are legendary tracks. Now, we may come back on Friday and do rock songs because, you know, we had the Scorpions, we had Rad, we had so many great legendary songs in rock music, so maybe Friday we do that. But 
We're going to step out of the rock genre and we're going to do pop music today. An incredible, incredible list. Number 10, he was a one-hit wonder, but he rode the wave of Michael Jackson's popularity. And he had Michael sing background on this. It's a song featuring Michael Jackson. It's Rockwell's Somebody's Watching Me. Number 10 on your list today. Number 9, this is a guy that kind of came out of nowhere. Next thing you know, he's a superstar. It didn't last very long, but man, Billy Ocean sold a ton of records, and it all started with Caribbean Queen, which was my favorite song for a while. Absolutely love that song. Even to this day, you can put that on. Because now we're living the same dream. Our hearts can beat as one. How about that? No more love on the run for you or me. Come on, man. Number eight. Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA album, an iconic album. So many hits. I think there were eight top 40 singles. I know at least seven top 40 singles on that album. One of the best-selling albums of all time. And a lot of it, too, is because of the song Born in the USA. We're not going to go in that direction. But around that time, this is in Reagan Bush time, right? And there was a lot of uh, acrimony within our country. Of course, it was re-election time. And this became kind of a, uh, a background song for the campaign. But we're going to go with Dancing in the Dark. And uh, in the video, the lovely and talented Courtney Cox, our first view of her is she's pulled up on stage to dance with Bruce Springsteen. And I read in an interview that uh, it was just one take. Like they didn't, they didn't have like a dance routine. They just pulled her up there and she did, the, uh, did her thing. Number seven. A band that caused a lot of controversy. It's true. It's true. A lot of people are like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. It's Culture Club. We can, I, I think we've done a top 10 Culture Club. I'm sure we have. But uh, the most recognizable song from their catalog was a huge hit in the summer of 84. It's Karma Chameleon. Because your colors are like my dreams. Red, gold, and green. Red, gold, and green. It's Mardi Gras, baby. When got a king cake today. I'm going to devour that. Look forward to that every year. That's one thing that I miss about living in Louisiana. King cake was everywhere. Boudin, king cake, absolutely everywhere. It's a wonder I've lost so much weight living in Mississippi. Number six is a great movie. They even made two of them. Our buddy Ray Parker Jr., who was a funk legend, shall we say? We could Have we done a top 10 at Ray Parker Jr.? I don't know if we have. We could. But probably the most recognizable song is Ghostbusters, because who are you going to call? Number five. This song was a pivotal, pivotal moment in the uh, recording career of Foreigner. Mick Jones loved the song. Lou Graham did not. It was a huge hit, so Mick kind of got the last laugh in that respect. But Lou Graham ultimately left the band over this song and kind of the direction of the band because, you know, Lou was a rocker, and all of a sudden we're doing this adult contemporary type stuff. The song is I Want to Know What Love Is, and I want you to show me. Huge, huge, huge hit. And so Lou went out and uh, did a solo album called Ready or Not. Had the big hit Midnight Blue on it. Still kind of rock radio friendly. 
But there were irreconcilable musical differences between Mick and Lou, which led to Lou leaving the band. And again, it all kind of centered around this song. Lou didn't even want to record it, much less put it on the album. He was on Agent Provocateur, if I remember correctly. And it was everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. An absolute monster hit, for the, even on Miami Vice. Number four, we couldn't talk about 84 without talking about Madonna. Could have gone a lot of different directions here. We went with the title track on the album, Like a Virgin. That's your number four track today. A lot of controversy about that one, too. We weren't supposed to talk about that sort of thing. Like a virgin, touch for the very first time. What are you trying to suggest here? Well, it's about finding somebody and then making you feel new, right? You may feel damaged, feel broken, but you meet somebody and you love them, and the the whole experience is new. But there were a lot of people that uh, equated this to um, maybe some unintended uh, motivation, but uh, a huge hit, and it wasn't long, Madonna ruled the world. Number three, one of the best motion picture soundtracks of all time. A lot of people continue to run through this. A lot of people uh, do this as a, a play each year at their high school. I think they've remade the movie. I refuse to watch the remake because nothing could ever touch what Kevin Bacon did. It's Footloose. The Kenny Loggins classic. Kenny Loggins was already a very established performer. But this made him a superstar. His work on uh, Footloose and uh, the great track, uh, What's the Heaven Makes the Man? Yeah. Uh, but nevertheless, Footloose, phenomenal. A lot of hits on that album, too. Let's hear it for the boy. Denise Williams, also a huge hit. Um, Bonnie Tyler's Holding Out for a Hero. Just phenomenal. It's been how long to tell you. Number two. A song that uh, George Michael wrote when he was 18 years of age. I've mentioned that before on this show. I've watched that documentary. You should, too, if you haven't. It's very entertaining, very educational. But it makes me think that my kids maybe have gotten by a little light. That somebody could write this classic song. Uh, Seether has an incredible rendition of this. It's Careless Whisper, because none of us are ever going to dance again. Even if we don't have guilty feet, most of you don't have any rhythm. But Careless Whisper, number two. But number one, probably the second best motion picture soundtrack of all time. It's true. It's Purple Rain. It doesn't matter what time of night it is. Even like if I'm scrolling through TV, more times than not, I'm watching something on a streaming platform. But if I'm ever scrolling through TV, just looking for something to watch, and I run across Purple Rain, I watch it. I love it. I know some people say, oh, it's just really cheesy. It is a masterpiece. And you get Apollonia, you get Prince, you get the great fashion. There's just a lot to it. Prince and the Revolution, of course, it was uh, the kid. And, of course, Morris Day in the time. Morris Day became a superstar because of this movie. Could go a lot of different directions here. Every song on this album is a hit. An absolute hit. But we're going to go with Purple Rain. I I think that the solo on this is just one of those songs that really show how talented Prince was and how he was such an emotional performer. The solo on this song matches the song perfectly. It's almost like you can feel him emoting through the instrument. An underappreciated guitar player, Prince. But uh, th- this is just one of those songs everybody knows, and it, like it, we, we didn't know what it meant, what is, what is Purple Rain. 
It doesn't matter. There's so many incredible lines in that song, so many great lyrics in that track. It just kind of stands apart. It's a timeless classic, without any question. Especially that whole line about, um, I never wanted to be your weekend lover, just, just wanted to be some kind of friend. It's such a shame my friendship had to end. I feel like I should just sing to you guys. I'm not, I'm not going to, but I feel like I should. But uh, I love Purple Rain, the album, the movie, the fashion, Prince's incredible music ability. I love it, I love it all. Absolutely love every single bit of it. Uh, I think one of the best, uh, the best parts of it is uh, when he does the beautiful ones. You know that song I'm talking about? And Morris Day sitting there next to Apollonia. And Prince just has this very intense moment where he points at her and says, do you want him or do you want me because I want you? It's so intense, man. Even just thinking about it, I get chills in the back of my neck. Absolutely incredible. If you're a young buck or a young buckette, I don't know what the proper term is these days, a young doe, whatever, and you don't know the Purple Rain movie, you should watch it. You owe it to yourself and probably to your parents. And uh, I've learned to, even though I've raised my children, I feel like I've had to raise many of you too because so many of your, your families weren't into music. I feel like I've had to kind of step in as a bit of a uh, music aficionado, perhaps a, a sponsor of sorts, and kind of share with you uh, the history behind some of these great songs. But uh, this is one of the best-selling lists of all time, without a doubt. You run through these, and you begin to look up record sales for these albums, and the fact that so many of these are timeless classics, you just think something, something special happened in 84. We also hosted the Olympics that year. Maybe you've forgotten. We did, and we dominated because of what we do. But uh, I enjoyed putting this list together. I appreciate Heath for reaching out and saying, Steve, why don't we do this? A lot of people out there doing the TikTok videos, trying to sing along to this stuff. I admire that. Uh, we could probably put it together ourselves because we lived it. But it's hard to believe that these songs are 40. And we bought them all on cassette, remember? Because like records were lame back then. Now it's all kind of come full circle now vinyl's the way to go, which it's so inconvenient. I'm just kind of telling you for what it is. Is a music guy, and I have some vinyl. I like to go out and get first pressings, kind of collector's item type things. But there are a few bands out there that I just buy their vinyl because I want to support the band. I want them to continue touring and things of that nature. But we bought all these albums on cassette. And the next thing you know, you know, CDs became a thing, and we didn't go back and rebuy all this stuff. We just started buying CDs. But um, I have many of these cassettes tucked away under my bed. So when I pass away, and there will come a day that I won't be with you, and you, you, you want a piece of me, you know, you want, you want something to remember me by, so you know what, I, I like to have one of Steve's old cassettes. That's where they are, because I'm sure nobody else in my family is going to know that, but that's where they are. Uh, and you can have them. Fine with me. You just help pay for the funeral. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Stark Billion institution. Campus Bookmart, absolutely outstanding place to go procure all of your Mississippi State merch. Will you look in outfits, your home, your wardrobe, your office, your pet, your RV, your tailgate, whatever you need, you can find at Campus Bookmart. Next time you're in town, go by and see their smiling faces. If you can't make it to town, Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. That's Campus Bookmart. So here we go. Uh, some news has broken 
Nick Saban officially retiring. This has been in the wind for about a year or so. And uh, now it's official. Nick Saban capping a legendary career. Let's just kind of call it for what it is. Nick Saban, the greatest college football coach of all time. And nobody has ever done more, including Bear Bryant. It's, uh, it's absolutely nuts to think about life without Nick Saban. And it's how ironic is it that uh, now that Mississippi State didn't have to play Alabama every year, that uh, there's a coaching change. Dave Murray dug up the stat for us. And Nick Saban's tenure, six different Mississippi State coaches played against Saban. 21 games. Mississippi State went 1-20. and 20. The one win, Sylvester Croom. Uh, pretty nuts when you think about it in hindsight. Of course, that was year one under Saban. Uh, Saban at Alabama, of course, he won an AFL championship at LSU. He won six at Alabama. Nine Southeastern Conference titles, was the SEC Coach of the Year five times, and the National Coach of the Year twice. It's a resume that is without peer. So what does this mean now? Not just for Alabama or the Southeastern Conference, but college football. Because here we are January the 10th. This is traditionally not when you make a change. And so now we're going to see some other dominoes. Like the silly season we thought was over. It's going to be awfully interesting to see how things develop. A lot of people have already signed extensions. They've increased their buyout. Not that Alabama's not willing to write the check for the right candidate. But this could be kind of a complicated process and probably going to be very expensive for a lot of athletic directors around the country. Now, a lot of names have already been thrown out there. Some people say uh, Dabu Sweeney, of course. Clemson is an obvious candidate. I'm here that's, I hear that's unlikely. It makes perfect sense to me, though. He's an Alabama alum. He's a guy that's won NAFL championships. He beat Nick Saban. A lot of uh, concern about his view on the portal in this day and time. But no matter how this thing kind of shakes loose, things are going to change at Alabama. You don't lose the greatest coach in the history of the game and get better. I don't even think it's sustainable at this point. And people forget, you know, when Bear Bryant retired, of course that happened in my lifetime as well, you know, Alabama screwed it up for a while, right? I mean, do you, do you guys remember this? Let's take a look, a trip down memory lane together. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable when you think about it. You know, when Bear Bryant retired, it was just one of those things like, it felt like this. You know, it's like you just couldn't begin to imagine college football without Bear Bryant. Bear got to Alabama in 1958. He retired in 1982. I was in the fifth grade. My best friend at the time was a guy named Richard Abernathy, big Alabama fan. His family went to the funeral. That's how big they were. It was, I mean, he was, he was glum for days. And then Alabama went out and hired Ray Perkins. They go win the Sun Bowl that year. They beat SMU. And it's like, hey, okay. And that was a big deal to beat SMU back then. You've seen the Pony Excess, right? 84, Alabama goes 5-6. and six. They have a losing season. That's the first losing season that Alabama had since 1957, the year before Bear Bryant got there. They went 2-7-1 that year, finished 11th in the SEC. 
So Ray Perkins in year two, losing record. But he hung around for a couple more years. Wasn't like it is these days. Nowadays, you make one mistake, have one bad year, you're, you're out in a lot of people's eyes. They bounce back in 85. They go 9-2-1 and one to beat USC in the Aloha Bowl, finishing the top 15. Things appear to be okay. In 86, Perkins goes 10-3, and three, wins the Sun Bowl. And then what do you know? He leaves Alabama to go to the National Football League. It's nuts, right? You have the one year. You figure it out. Kind of get going again. Finish in the top 10 and say, I'm ready for a different challenge. Tampa Bay Buccaneers may have it for me. Well, then they go out and hire Bill Curry. Many of you know Bill Curry from his work on ESPN after he quit coaching in Alabama. Bill Curry lasted just three years. 7-5, 9-3, The last year, of course, they are tied for the uh, SEC championship, went to the Sugar Bowl and lost to Miami, still finishing the top ten. And uh, it was interesting. You know, kind of a weird deal here. Bill Curry leaves Alabama for Kentucky. Now, of course, Bear Bryant, former coach of Kentucky too, but it goes the other way. So Curry leaves, and of course, there was some acrimony behind all that stuff too. In 1990, they bring in Gene Stallings. Eerily reminiscent of Bear Bryant, kind of his demeanor and the way he handled himself. So an older guy wore the suit on the sidelines. You know, it didn't like it is today. I mean, nowadays it looks like guys are going to Sunday night service, you know. But back in those days, even as late as the uh, early 90s, guys wore suits on the sidelines. But Stallings restored some real dignity to Alabama football. Seven and five year one, then he goes 11 and one. They win the blockbuster ball in 91 against Colorado, and that was a big deal. Alabama finished number five in the country. In 92, they won the NFL championship. You've all seen the big uh, highlight against Miami where uh, Alabama DB runs the uh, wide receiver down, takes a ball from him. We'd never really seen that happen before, especially on that stage. So in 92, they go 13-0. In 93, bounce back. Interesting year. End up having to vacate some games. In 94, 12-1. They win the Florida Citrus Bowl, finish top five in the country. And then the probation stuff hits. 95, they go 8-3. and three. They, were, they were had a bowl ban that year. And, and that, that all kind of stems back to 92 and 93 when they had to uh, vacate some games, which mean nothing. All it does is make it more difficult for people like me and you when we go research these teams. Can we just see the actual record? You know, I mean, Wikipedia, right? Wikipedia, not subject to NCAA sanctions. 97, tough year. Mike Dubose took over. And people forget in 96, you know, Alabama goes 10-3 and that year, and Jackie Sherrill beats them in Starkville. And then the next week beats Ole Miss to ultimately save his job here at Mississippi State. That was a great Alabama team. Finished 11th in the country. Played in the Outback Bowl, though. And they beat Michigan 17-14. Mike Dubow shows up, and uh, it was rough. Dubose, 4-7 and seven in year one, and 7-5. and five. In 1999, they go 10-3, and, and Alabama, of course, is involved with uh, all kind of craziness with the, um, the Albert Means case. If you remember that, 
2000, DuBose goes 3-8. and eight. More trouble comes. They hire Francione. Francione is there to kind of help them through the transition. They go 7-5, and five, and then they finish with the best record in the Southeastern Conference in 2002. Uh, future Mississippi State Offensive Coordinator Les Kenning, play caller for Francione back in 2002. Tyler Watts, a quarterback, former Gatorade Player of the Year. Les decided to run him a little bit. They were ineligible for a bowl game, still finished 11th in the country. Francione, it's crazy then, Francione leaves Alabama, goes to A&M. It's weird, right? I mean, all these people leaving Alabama, and uh, you'd think they'd have culture issues, right? Well, then all of a sudden, Sylvester Croom emerges as a candidate. A lot of people thought, hey, Sylvester Croom can kind of uh, restore some dignity to the Alabama program. A lot of people felt like he should have got the job. He didn't. Mike Shula got the job. And there began a little bit of angst between Sylvester Croom and Alabama. Ultimately, of course, Sylvester Croom, the only uh, Bulldog coach in forever to get a win over Alabama. But uh, looking at the Mike Shula stuff, 6-6, six and six, uh, they had to vacate some games in 2005. They actually won the Cotton Bowl that year, had to vacate that. They go 10-2 and two in the regular season, but uh, had to forfeit or had to vacate all of those wins. 2006, they go 6-6, six and six, and then lose the Independence Bowl. So they go 6-7 and seven with the final – tally, but uh, had to vacate those games as well. 2007, the uh, first year under Nick Saban. They went 7-6 and six that year, won the Independence Bowl, and then had to vacate those win, most of those wins too. And so I say that to kind of illustrate how difficult it is to follow a legend. And Alabama, two of the greatest legends in the history of coaching, really for any sport. And so I don't think it's going to be you know, quite as easy, I think, as some people say. Well, you know, the system is there. You know, it's one of those things, too, like I can give you the recipe, but I don't know that you can go into the kitchen and cook it the same way I do. You know what I'm saying? It's like they, they talk about you never want to be the guy that follows the guy. This is going to be a very, 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 very interesting hire at Alabama. And uh, listen, I'm a fan of chaos as long as it doesn't involve us. So that job is now open. One of, if not the best job in the country, is now open. Which means that they're going to hire likely a proven coach from a Power 5 program. Which in turn will set off another domino. And so we're about to see some people have to navigate through some very interesting waters. And if you are one of those guys that's going to be rumored for the job, it's probably smart to go ahead and get out in front of this. Is everybody gets ready to finalize their transfer portal class. Because now all of a sudden you start thinking, well, wait a minute, why would I transfer to Oregon State or to Ole Miss if my coach may be leaving? Of course, Jonathan Smith's already left, but you, you kind of get the point, though. So not only could there be chaos in college coaching circles, there could be chaos in the portal here in the final days because maybe some guys are thinking, hey, before I sign this 
SEC financial aid agreement. Maybe I need to see what's going to happen with Alabama. Because I don't want to be tied to a program and all of a sudden my coach leave. Now, Lane Kiffin is going to be mentioned in connection with the job. I don't think he gets it. There were some Alabama you know, media folks who told us a couple years ago that uh, chances of him returning to Alabama were pretty slim. Now, of course, Ole Miss people are, are panicking right now, and we're already seeing some social media commentary. Like the, the news isn't even an hour old that Saban's leaving, and some people are like, oh, Lane Kiffin's not interested in that job. Uh, that's wishful thinking. You don't think Lane Kiffin would take that job if they offered it? You're kidding yourself. Of course he would. Of course he would. Oh, he loves Ole Miss. Guys, Alabama's Alabama. Lane Kiffin knows. Again, I don't think he gets the job. But for those of them trying to forecast that perhaps that uh, he wouldn't be interested, and you talk about deluding yourself. But there's going to be a lot of things at play here, and some of them could impact Mississippi State. Now, all of a sudden, the Alabama players, due to the coaching search, will have the opportunity to enter the transfer portal which means that Alabama needs to act sooner rather than later, which makes me think that Alabama might already have a plan in place. I can't see Nick Saban just leaving Alabama in a lurch after all the great things he's done there. So maybe they give Saban his day-to-day, and you could have an announcement by the end of the week. Wouldn't that be something? And so it's so interesting to watch the dominoes fall and watch the puzzle pieces get reshuffled when we're not involved. I love chaos. And I know you do too. As long as it doesn't negatively impact us. We've had a lot of chaotic activity ourselves for the last 15 months, but uh, this is something that uh, because of the legendary nature of Nick Saban, it's somewhat unprecedented at least in the modern era. You haven't had a coach of his stature retire. And you've had some guys in the past that maybe perhaps have said, let their administration know, hey, this is it, so they can prepare. So I don't think Nick Saban just blindsided Alabama with this news. So I think there probably has already been uh, some, some things at play here, which makes me think, too, it's probably not a lengthy search because the way that people talk these days you would think if there were multiple candidates out there that had had their interests gauged, something might have leaked before now. Of course, there was some discussion that Saban may hang it up, but there wasn't a lot of talk about who may replace him. That's an interesting aspect of it, too. And so uh, pretty pretty significant development here in college football and within our own conference. But um, as much as I respect St. Nick, I'm happy to see him go. I just think it's one of those things, too, that uh, it's just our luck that then they drop off the schedule. <laughs> kind of how life works. And then when you start thinking about uh, the rest of this conference, what does it mean? You know, how does it shake things up, not only with the portal stuff here in the end, but what happens in the spring? Do you have some more Alabama players that elect to go in the portal in the spring? You know, maybe they feel like, hey, it's too late to figure this thing out. Maybe I want to take some time, put some feelers out. I don't know when classes begin at Alabama, but you know we're, we're probably 10 to 14 days away from either classes beginning and a drop-ad date coming. So you're going to have some guys go in the portal. And if you're, if you're Jeff Levy, I mean, you got Coleman Hutzler on your staff, and as these guys begin to go in, you'd like to think, hey, you know, hey, guys, we, we can take you right now. You know, we're just 80-some-odd miles away. Get you a U-Haul, come on over here. And you're hosting official visitors this weekend. And so it's going to be interesting. 
And again, I'm a fan of chaos as long as Mississippi State's not a victim of it. So, uh, but again, what an incredible career for Nick Saban. It's one of those things, too. It's, uh, it just almost feels surreal. We knew at some point this was coming. But now it's a reality. Now it's here. And things are changing, not just within our conference, but within college football as a whole. And so I, I'm here for that aspect of it. But uh, it will be awfully interesting now without Nick Saban. Does Nick go into TV? Does he do uh, some things here or there? Or did he just go into retirement and ride off into the sunset with Miss Terry? We don't know. I mean, the Paul Feinbaum show will never be the same. But it's all very incredibly interesting for all involved. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. I was out there today, as a matter of fact. Some friends of mine are staying out there. And uh, went out there and had some uh, buttermilk pie with them. Yeah, Stark Vegas Clubhouse, absolutely fabulous. And uh, it's a big group, what we talked about. If you're bringing a work group to town, and uh, these people are in town uh, doing some work for the school district and said, you know what, hey, it's better for all under the same roof together, producing some content and things of that nature. It just makes sense for everybody to be together. You don't have to go round everybody up when it's time to leave. They're all there together. And so it works. And so congratulations to our friends at Stark Vegas Clubhouse for uh, getting these fine folks in town. You, too, can take advantage of the amenities available to Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Hit them up today. Go to Facebook or go to uh, Google. Put in Stark Vegas Clubhouse. It'll pop up. You can see all the pictures on their Facebook page and see all the amenities that are available. They have that great fire pit area in the back. Really big back porch, too. I don't, I don't mention that a lot. It's one of the more impressive things about it. You can sit out there in the shade, just kind of enjoy being outside. Not a lot of traffic out there, obviously. Not a lot of neighbors. Check it out yourself. And uh, when you book, book through the Evolve website. We can save you a little money when you do. You can book through Airbnb or VRBO if you want to, but it's just going to be more expensive. Go to the Evolve website and use promo code BSR10. That gets you 10% off your stay. Just by listening to this show, you're making money or saving money. Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Be sure and go check them out and be glad you did. Maybe you can get uh, mom to uh, come with you and, and make those, uh, those cinnamon rolls for breakfast, man. You can't beat that. You really can't. All right, by the time you guys listen, this ball game will be over. Of course, Mississippi State uh, hosting Tennessee tonight. Our Justin Frommer there uh, to cover, Dave Murray there as well. Uh, I, I'm not optimistic about the game, and you guys aren't either. I mean, Tennessee is an outstanding team, and um, it's just not a great matchup for us. But, man, wouldn't it be great if we found a way to get it done? Be one of the biggest wins in probably since the Rick Stansberry era, right? And then we got Alabama coming in who just absolutely demolished South Carolina. You know, it's a difficult stretch, not ready to give up by any means, but um, prepared, right? Prepared for a little adversity here in the early going of the conference schedule. Uh, the women, of course, already 0-2 in the conference, but we know that we're better than that. One of those two, of course, was South Carolina. We're going to be traveling tomorrow night, Thursday night, to Fayetteville, Arkansas. That's going to be on the SEC Network. It's an 8 p.m. tip. Uh, be sure and check that out. Arkansas, of course, really good at Bo Walton Arena. They always have been. It really doesn't matter who the coach is. But uh, they are a program, obviously, that uh, believes. And they do put some resources into that place. And so it's important uh, for, you know, for us to go out there and try to get a win. You get one there. 
and you start feeling a little bit better about yourself, then you got old mess coming to Starkville on Sunday. Going to go ahead and make your plans now. We need a raucous crowd at Humphrey Coliseum, 4 p.m. tip this Sunday. So you can go to church, come to the ball game, help us beat Ole Miss and get back home. And, and listen, it's going to require a big effort from us. It, it absolutely is. We got, we got swept last year by the Rebels for the first time in forever. So we need to, you know, trying to find a way to at least get a split against them this year. Uh, the road to that begins on Sunday. Uh, be sure and come check that out. All right, as you guys are well aware, it, you know, baseball season is about five weeks away. Uh, Coach Chris Simonis and those guys still having to kind of figure some things out with the roster. And uh, you'll notice if you go to the uh, Hell State website and you click on the roster, like they don't make the fall roster available. And so the roster, it's got a 2014 roster like listed, but it's not the 2020, excuse me, the 2020, the 2014 roster is listed if you want it. But the 2024 roster not been updated yet. It's because it hadn't been finalized. I mean, we know that there have been some guys that have moved on. Uh, Brock Tapper, of course, uh, one of them headed to junior college, which Brock the best. That's part of this deal. And so you've got to get it down to a manageable number. And uh, there are, of course, limitations to all that. And so you may see some guys red church. You may see some guys leave the program. We, we know that there's already been a few guys that have elected to go the junior college route. That happens every year. It's not something that's germane to Mississippi State. Uh, everybody brings in as, as many players as they can that they feel like it's a manageable number in the fall, and then you whittle it down and begin your spring preparations. Uh, but, yeah, so we've got some, some names that are still out there in discussion. We're not going to speculate about that. The, you know, Chris Lamonis knows what's going to happen and what's going to go on. Uh, but the, the roster will be finalized and released here in the days and uh, weeks ahead. But kind of looking at this, too, like, Looking at last year's roster and looking, you know, what we have coming back, because everybody wants to focus on what we've lost. Of course, David Mershon, kind of a fan favorite, is back. Not exactly sure what his role is going to be, but he needs to be on the diamond, needs to be in the order. He is an absolute irritating hitter. He is, and I mean that in the most complimentary way possible. I would hate having to pitch to him because he's the guy, number one, because of his small stature, but also his good eye. He's going to walk a lot. And then he's going to get on the first base, and he's going to be that little agitating guy at first base that always is distracting the pitcher. It's good to have that guy top of the lineup. I wouldn't be totally opposed to have him hitting ninth. And some people say, but, Steve, it's not. All of a sudden, you got him and Amani Larry there together. you know. But you got to figure it out. Dylan Cup obviously, is going to factor in somewhere in the middle infield. But, Mershon, you feel good about his role in the team. That guy's a dirtbag, man. I love that guy's game. Aaron Downs is back, and, man, if we can get Aaron to stay healthy, this is a guy that hits the ball with bad intentions, man. Like, it just sounds different coming off his bat. It's a guy last year that um, had some ups and downs health-wise, but, uh, you know, where does he fit in? You know, is he, is he a DH guy? I, I don't know. But it's going to be interesting. Uh, Logan Forsyth, of course, uh, a guy that had a good fall for us. You know, he kind of up and down at times last year, has picked up some velo, uh, they've done some work on the grip a little bit, getting a little better sync on some pitches. Connor Hyzak is back, expected to be your opening day center fielder. And Chris Simonis told me himself one of the biggest mistakes he made last year was not getting more at-bats uh, for Bryce Chance and Connor Hyzak. 
We do expect Connor to be the everyday center fielder. It took a lot of time and effort to get that guy here. People forget, you know, VCU opposed the transfer, the waiver request. We got it taken care of. It's one of those things. So you look at the, what we're dealing with now, it almost seems silly in hindsight. Hindsight, you almost forget that, that happened. Amani Larry, of course, is back. Another fan favorite. Guy made some big defensive plays for us. A little bit limited arm-wise, but uh, this is a guy that is full effort. Will be back for us, and uh, I'm, I'm eager to see what he does this year. Pico Cone, right? Found out right before the season that Pico was going to be out for the year. Had the Tommy John. We do expect him back this year. Last report is he was ahead. Not exactly sure when he begins to take up some uh, some innings, but uh, he is a guy that um, may be a little farther ahead of the schedule than most of us expected him to be. Uh, Evan Sierra, you know, it's a guy from Columbus, put at Starville Academy, had some big innings for us last year. Where does he factor this year? That's something we'll look forward to finding out. Nate Chester was a little bit of a, a utility guy for us last year. Not exactly sure where he fits. You know, played some at third, could play some at second. Will Gibbs is a guy we didn't see in the fall. Guy's got a heavy ball, really does. Ground ball machine when he's healthy. Eager to see what he can do. Uh, Cole Cheatham is a guy that did some things for us last year. And uh, you know, this probably, probably needed some other opportunities. I think at times we, we rode some left-handers that maybe we shouldn't. I think Cole could be a matchup guy for us. He's, there's been some games Cole's come in and been lights out. Stone Simmons, of course, after two years is back. Happy to have him. It feels like Stone's been here forever because he has been. Stone could be a factor in closing, could be a long relief guy. Just not exactly sure yet. But Stone's the guy that's added a little, uh, little velo. Eager to see what he can do for us. Uh, just kind of skip it down a little bit, too. More notable names. Colby Holcomb. Uh, Justin Parker had told me he was one of the guys that probably had made uh, one of the biggest jumps since he's been here. Holcomb is a guy that turned down Major League money to come to school. Was kind of up and down at times last year. Uh, they, I, I believe, have kind of found his currency. I thought this fall he looked a lot more confident. I mean, his body language is good. A lot of swing and miss. Ross Highfield, you know, we all love Ross. One of the best freshman catchers in the country last year. You know what to expect from Ross. And defensively, he got better and better and better. And we and we and I cautioned you guys on the show about Ross having to be the guy early on. It took a little while to make those defensive adjustments. And she's got back there with him, worked on blocking the ball. And offensively, he's probably farther ahead than many people anticipated. Ross is a dude. I think he is a guy that will be drafted in the first two rounds when his time comes, first two days, excuse me, when it comes. But I, I wouldn't rule out him being a second or third rounder. Uh, Slate Offered, of course, has moved on. Nate Dome, happy 21st birthday uh, to Nate, our buddy, his dad, Stephen. Really had enjoyed getting a chance to know them. I think Nate is probably the guy you look at and say, you know what? This is a guy that's going to be involved in a lot of wins for Mississippi State. Don't know if it's going to be as a starter, as a reliever, or whatever. But Nate is a winning pitcher. And last year, in his first year at Mississippi State, of course, he's kind of thrust out there and became the most reliable guy. He and Kate Smith, probably the two guys we had the most confidence in. But even when we lost that game against Kentucky, you know, we thought we were going to pull that one out. we get beat on a wild pitch. There's nobody I would rather have had out there in that situation than Nate. 
Tyson Harding is still around. Of course, they work with him on the, uh, you know, be more of a side armor, a bit of a submariner, eager to see what he can do uh, this year. Bradley Lofton, a lot of people still love this kid. I do too. Is Bradley a midweek guy? Is he a weekend guy? That all is kind of to be determined. But, uh, you know, he's a guy got to throw strikes. And last year, of course, we found out, you know, late in the year that, uh, you know, he needed a little bit of a procedure to clean some things up. And that, that was part of the issue with some of his discomfort. But this is a competitive kid. This is a guy that has the mindset that you want to go out there on the mound. Strike throwing's got to be a priority, but certainly will be a big part of things for us this year. And, and you, again, if he ends up on Tuesdays, uh, I, I think that puts you in a position where you probably have one of the better Tuesday starters in the Southeastern Conference. I think that's, that's a fair assessment. Yeah, we'll see. Bryce Chance, a guy, too. You know, last year he got banged up, and um, the next thing you know, Dakota Jordan exploded. And uh, Bryce, kind of the odd man out in many respects, I think, you know, with, with Dakota moving over to right, Bryce Chance now moves to left. There were some times last year defensively it was a little bit of an adventure with Bryce, but if you see him this, this fall, it looks a lot more natural to him. He's tracking the baseball a lot better. That, that just comes with reps. But there was a time that Bryce Chance may have been the most clutch hitter on our team be nice to kind of get him back in those situations. There were times when Bryce Chance's batting average with the bases loaded was absolutely ridiculous. The runners in scoring position, Bryce has got his – he doesn't try to do too much. Just go up there and put the ball in some green grass somewhere and get the runs in. He has a really good approach to hitting. Not the biggest guy, not going to hit a ton of home runs. He may poke one out every once in a while, but we don't need him to be that guy. We see Bryce go out there and be a doubles hitter. Dakota Jordan, you know exactly what you got there. You, know, you don't need me to tell it. Of course, it was a very, very difficult 12 hours when he was in a transfer portal. But Dakota always wanted to be here, and he had some people in his ear. And uh, you know, this will be the last year Dakota Jordan's at Mississippi State. There's some people right now that already have a first-round grade on him. We need him to go out there and play like a first-rounder. And the fact that he's got All-American Hunter Hines behind him in the order, you can't afford to pitch around Dakota Jordan. You just can't. And that's the thing you start thinking about, the lefty-righty matchup. You're going to pitch around Jordan, and then, then all of a sudden you got to face uh, Hunter Hines, who has struggled at times with lefties. But there is going to be some length to this order, but that middle of the order could be as good as any in the country. And, of course, you know what you've got with Hunter Hines. We talked about him extensively the other day when he was named uh, you know, third-team All-American. Uh, he's going to put up All-American-type numbers. There's no question about that. And then, of course, you got Tower Davis. Uh, who was very up and down last year. He had a couple of good appearances, but there were times he really struggled to miss, to miss bats. Brooks Auger, of course, missed last year. Brooks, you know, in 2022, when things were so difficult, Brooks, in many respects, kind of had the Nate Dome feel to him, right? You brought him out of the bullpen, and he could kind of settle things down. He was a bit of a fireman. And then he, you know, tears the, uh, the UCL. And uh, Brooks is a guy that I thought had a really good fall. Uh, he has gotten some velo on the fastball. Bigger kid, too. We're really challenge hitters. And then, of course, uh, there's Gerangelo, who I think is going to be your Friday night starter. That's how I feel today. And uh, watching him this fall, he looks a lot more comfortable. And I give Justin Parker a lot of credit for that. There were some times last year, you know, he, he threw almost exclusively from the right-hand side. And it's like, okay, are we just going to abandon this other thing? Well, we didn't. And Gerangelo at times is really, really nasty in the fall. I mean, absolutely filthy. And he's learned to throw that change up from the left side – with greater regularity, he can spot it up for a strike, but he disguises it so well 
with the same arm speed and uh, the same arm slot that it looks like the fastball, which is a plus fastball. And all of a sudden that changeup comes out of there and it's just kind of tailing away from you. There's just nothing you can do with it, you know. And so now it's about the newcomers, right? And uh, that's where I think that the, the measure of this team will be evaluated. Just with the pieces you have coming back, you pretty much have your defensive lineup together, right? I mean, Ross Highfield, obviously, right? Hunter Hines, Amani Larry, David Mershon. You got a hole over there at third base, and you feel like, okay, Logan Kohler can take that. Your outfield is pretty much set. So you don't have a lot of opportunities to get in this lineup because you've got so many returning players. And of course, there's competition. But, you know, where, where State is going to be evaluated and ultimately judged is going to be on the work of Justin Parker and his pitching staff. As I've shared many times on this show, defensively, we are light years ahead of where we were, what you guys saw last year. And we were decent in the fall last year, but we were elite at times this year. And I think a lot of that is Dylan Cup showing up. Dave Mershon, extremely competitive guy. Dylan Cup shows up as a guy that people think could potentially be a first-rounder someday at shortstop. Watching this kid just kind of move and operate, you can see why he had so much MLB interest. He was advised to come to school, and now he's here. And I think everybody in the middle infield has benefited from his presence being there because I think Dylan Cup, because he is so good defensively, has made everybody else kind of elevate their game. And then you get Logan Kohler. And as I've had other people in college baseball tell me, you just need Logan Kohler to make the routine play. I mean, how many times last year did we just have a routine play and couldn't make it? You don't need Logan Kohler to be Brooks Robinson. You just need him to go over there. Uh, maybe get you nine, ten home runs a year. This is a veteran guy. He hit a home run last year at Duty Noble Field when we played Memphis in the abbreviated game. So he's somewhat familiar with the landscape. But uh, I, I like what we saw of him in fall, especially defensively, because it's one of those things where he makes it look easy. He makes it look routine. Makes it look especially routine. And that's where I think we struggle the most. Just go make the routine play. I mean, you hear that all the time in baseball. Just go make the routine play. That's going to win you a lot of ball games. You don't always have to make the spectacular play. Occasionally you will. But if you just go out there and make the routine play, you're going to save wear and tear on your pitchers. They're going to have more confidence in their stuff because of the fact that you're going to be able to go out there and back them up. you got seven guys behind you with gloves on. You want to be able to go out there and be pitch efficient and really challenge the zone and make guys hit your pitch, get under barrels, have them beat the ball on the ground. And when the pitcher does that, that should be success. That's how they feel. And you roll that ground ball up, and then your guy throws it in the dugout. Or your guy boots it around or kicks it around. Now, all of a sudden, i got to go out here, and i got to play chess with this next hitter, and i got to find a way now to get him to roll up a ground ball. And what ends up happening then is that guys start thinking, i got to strike everybody out to get out of an inning. So they begin to overthrow. You can't begin – you cannot begin – to imagine how much additional stress you put on pitchers when you can't play defense. I mean, you can't even quantify it. It's that big. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say let our pitchers off the hook because they don't deserve that. They, they didn't pitch up to SEC standards. But when you change the mindset of your pitcher to think from, hey, i got to go up here and just roll up a routine ground ball, and then we're going to be back in the dugout hitting, to thinking i got to strike everybody out, i got to go out here and challenge every, every hitter. And if you don't think that takes not just a mental but a physical toll over a pitcher over the course of a season, you're kidding yourself. We talk about high leverage innings. 
Well, we created some high leverage innings for our pitchers due to our own ineptitude defensively. And so just by being better defensively, you're going to be better pitching-wise. And then when you think about adding Justin Parker in and bringing in some new pieces, you got some guys out there that uh, will be able to roll up more ground balls, and you've got the guys behind them that can make plays. It's a different dynamic. And we all know what's at stake this year. It's not some big surprise. After two very subpar years at Mississippi State, and they're not just bad years for State, they're bad years in college baseball. And that's just not something we're used to. Just We're, we're not used to that. And we're not going to get used to it. You know, baseball is just too important to the people that are around here. We've got too much tradition. You know, we are a blue blood of college baseball. There's no doubt about it. So we got to go out here and have a, we gotta have a, a solid step in the right direction. You had a winning season last year, but it meant nothing to us because we didn't make the postseason. A winning season is a given at Mississippi State. A regional should be a given. And sometimes it's going to be a road regional. But we got to be in the postseason. I don't just mean making Hoover. we got to be in an opportunity to go get an NCAA regional. That's the, nobody wants us as a two-seed. Nobody in the ACC would want Mississippi State to show up as a two-seed in their regional. They wouldn't want it. And so, of course, you, you get in that situation, it puts you in a situation where perhaps you could be in a super regional type situation. And there are a lot of people out there in our fan base that say, hey, we got to make a super in order for me to feel good. And here's the thing about that. It doesn't really matter what me and you think or what we want, but I think everybody understands we have to be in an NCAA regional at a minimum. And to be honest with you, that should be the minimum standard at Mississippi State each and every year. We should always be in a regional, whether it be on the road or at Duty Noble Field. And so we're never going to just excuse away two bad years of baseball. We're not, nor should we. Chris Lamonis understands that. You understand that. Zach Selman understands that. But based on what I have seen, I believe we have taken some solid steps in the right direction. Now we got to do it when it matters. And I'm looking forward to kind of getting out there here in a couple, uh, a couple weeks and have a chance to watch the team perform a little bit, kind of see where we are, start seeing some of these roles get defined a little bit. That's all very important. You know, my biggest concern with this team is what are we going to do on the back end? Because if you go out there and Gerangelo can get you six – how am I getting these last nine outs? What's my bridge? Who's my closer? Those are things that have to be established. Is it Stone? Is it somebody else? I don't know. Do we do it by committee? Do we do it by matchups? I don't know, but eventually you've got to have somebody to be the guy. I mean, how many times back in 2021, when you heard White Snake still the night, did you know the ball game was over? Every time. Every single time. We had one of the most dominant closers in baseball, Kevin Copps, of course, from Arkansas, uh, won the award that year and, and duly deserved, right? But Landon Sims was a guy that went there and did some pretty special things for us. We haven't had that for two years now, right? Even though we moved uh, Landon to the, um, you know, to the starting rotation in 2022, we just didn't have anything on the back end. And last year you had Aaron Nixon, and he was hurt most of the year. So we've got to find somebody to be the kind of the established guy. And that's one of the biggest challenges we have right now in front of us is we get ready uh, for, uh, for baseball. Yeah, here we are. All right, if you hadn't done so, go to winthebottomfalls.com. You can, you can order the new book. It's doing exceptionally well. I want to thank everybody that's reached out. I've had uh, several people that have shared uh, 
their personal reviews of the book. I, I appreciate that so much. All of my sports titles are also available at that same location. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, you can find that at StarkVillains.com. One more thing about the book website, too. A lot of people ask me if I order through there, is it signed? Yes, all the books bought through the website are signed. I have to routinely go and sign those books for the publisher. I have to run down to central Mississippi you know, and go sign books. Sometimes they come up here make it easy on me. But, uh, yeah, they're always signed. And so you don't have to come to a book signing or something like that. But uh, I do appreciate all the success that you guys have uh, have afforded me when it's come to these books. And uh, I was on that Recovery Lab podcast. They asked me about that. I'm so incredibly grateful. I mean, it's I can't say it enough. It's never anything that I take for granted. I'm so incredibly grateful uh, to have you folks as supporters. And you have done such a great job of making me feel uh, like I matter, really. I mean, the, the things that I become projects of mine, you guys have made a project of yours. And so I, I so incredibly appreciate that. We're going to get out of here a little bit early today. I'll be back on Friday. And again, hopefully I'll be on time. I apologize for being later in the day. Uh, many of you will listen to this on, on Thursday. But, uh, hey, let's have a good uh, midweek, and uh, we'll get together back on Friday, hopefully recapping some successful basketball games. Not optimistic, but that's the hope anyway. But uh, we'll give you a full recap on Friday. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.